host, Nia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a bit gender nebulous, a term that I made up and you can use if you like it. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, a boundary guide for individuals and couples, and a consent educator. My interest in this work is mostly in consent, gender, and power dynamics. I offer Zoom classes live and for download through my website, and private consent lessons and boundary sessions too. But I looked at her stuff and I was like, I, I like this feed. I She's clearly smart. And then when we got to talking, I was like, whoa, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. And, you know, it's really rare that I do an episode with someone that I don't know at all. And this felt like I had known her forever. I've gotten to know Lena a little bit more now. And so, like, hearing the two of you speaking about these like really in-depth topics that you cover on the podcast, I was just like, yes, like they're both <laughs> like firing off on these really interesting topics about consent and how that works within a realm of like BDSM and how that works within your realm and when you're doing your intimacy coordinating and how like those experiences yeah. with consent are so interesting. My favorite thing about our conversation was her story about the camping trip. And how, like, everyone will will hear it in a moment. It really flips on its head a lot of things that I think people assume about submissives. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, that you're just getting told what to do. And I loved that it was, like, because of the agreement of their relationship and the way that it's set up, they were having so much fun doing this. And they were watching other people who, because they don't have an agreement, never set up any expectations and then ended up really disappointed in each other. Yeah, I think the thing that hit for me was there was some point where you two were talking about people's first glance into BDSM and what that may look like. And I think Lena goes to say something about it's really important to detach power from sensation or something like that. Implying like you might see someone who's mm-hmm. like maybe giving the sensation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the person who's in power. And I thought that was really poignant. And, you know, as you start kind of listening to what she's about on this episode, that is such a crystal in her world of like, well, who's actually in power? Because it's definitely not like a first glance situation. Right. You can't always see it. And then she kind of like blew my mind after that where she's like, I know of people who are psychologically topping, but they're being topped physically by their consensual partner. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I know. There was so much in there where I was like, whoa, this is so much more nuanced and in-depth than my awareness. Like, I have a pretty limited range of experiences with BDSM and kink. And it's, you know, it's not my area of expertise. And she is just such a true, true expert. The more that I now have come into, like, running my own business and, like, having to make all these decisions, you know, I don't work for other people as much anymore. And I have to make all these – I have to draw my own boundaries around my work life the idea of being submissive and like relinquishing control to someone else sounds so appealing to me. The idea that someone who loves me and has my best interest at heart would take away my phone and be like, you're done for the day. Yeah. Or like put, you know, lock away my computer 
or or be like if you answer an email right now you're going to be punished and then we agree on like what that would mean <laughs> like that is getting more and more appealing to me as i'm just like please tell me to stop working totally <laughs> i think i'm like also finding more and more attraction in that kind of a dynamic <laughs> like please if you logical work off my plate i will love you even Today I'm talking to Lena Dune. Um, she's a bisexual, 24-7 submissive and kink writer. And she also gives relationship advice and makes kinky memes on Instagram and Twitter at Ask a Sub. Hey, Lena. Hey, thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? Uh, today, <laughs> we mean we're recording this on on a day capital d-a-y uh so today i'm just trying to like drink water and show up a little bit <laughs> i like that approach i feel like it's worth mentioning to everybody that we're recording this on january 7th the day after i don't know what we want to call it an insurrection a coup yeah georgia swayed the senate democrat and then a day later the electoral college was supposed to be certified and instead um well, we all know what yeah. happened. Um, I also am, uh, I tried to take today, my plan always today was to just meet up with a friend and like go for a walk before mm -hmm. this, which actually worked out really well because I was able to then just be outside and walk and like drink water and, yeah. you know, see a friend. So you reached out to me, which is not typically how I find people to be on this show. Yeah. So I wanted to share um, why I was excited to hear from you. Sure. Yeah. I don't know how to describe my awareness slash involvement with BDSM. It's something that I've long been interested in power dynamics and, and like how to play with power dynamics within mm -hmm. both like my art my like creative expression has really like focused on that even before I think I knew that there was even like a term for that mm -hmm. and then in my in my personal life and sexual life there's been a lot of that kind of like playing with power dynamics but for a while I didn't really feel like it could be characterized as BDSM because it was like more kind of psychological and then of course I yeah. understood as I got older and more involved <laughs> in like intimacy coordination and like the sex positive community that that is very much part of BDSM is like the psychological yeah. piece. I think, you know, I and we can talk about like stereotypes and myths and stuff too. I think mm -hmm. I fell very prey to the stereotype that like if I'm not being tied up, like I'm not kinky or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that misconception that sensation is like the leading I guess like defining aspect of what is done in BDSM but like it when you boil it way down the sensation is more of just another outcropping of how to express the power dynamic psychologically so like you know and then when you get even further into it like the point where I'm in like you meet people who are like I you know people who are service tops who are providing for example providing sensation at the direction of the bottom who is actually psychologically topping them while they are physically topping the bottom and so like once you divorce sensation from power like you notice that it's just sort of a different component within this giant umbrella of things that people do to like manifest power 
towards and from each other like playing sexually yeah it's 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 it ties your brain in a knot it's like sunday crossword content like (laughs) yeah well just what you were the way that you were just explaining that made me have a question about do you think that there's a lot of people who are like engaged in bdsm without knowing it because they're doing kind of exactly what you're talking about but like not labeling it or not understanding or not like thinking about it through the lens of power dynamics and it just sort of like is built into their relationship you know i think i think that if you're going to define bdsm with anything it's um conscious practice of like a Mm. safe yeah however like a lot of people are playing with power without realizing it and a lot of people are doing things under the umbrella of bdsm without realizing it that would really benefit from the structure that the community has cohered around these kinds of practices so like you know if you polled five people off the street you know in los angeles where i think we both are probably like four out of them would have had an experience with random choking from like a hookup but you know that probably like did not come with prior negotiation and aftercare and safe words and consent but it definitely should have so like yeah part of what I'm out here doing is being like it's okay to talk to people (laughs) because like (laughs) if you're gonna put your hand on someone's throat you should also have talked to them about it in advance that's yeah, my God, I hear those stories so often of like, well, she like took my hand and put it on her throat. So I assumed that I should choke her. And like, and then even from the other person's perce- perspective being like, that's how you get someone to choke you, you know, like yeah. there's, very often there's a fear, not just around like asking if it's okay, but actually asking for it. Mm-hmm. And so people use these like tricks to kind mm-hmm. of like communicate what they want without doing so verbally. Yeah. I like this component that you're drawing attention to around making it conscious Mm-hmm. I think what has come up for me in the work that I do in teaching consent is that a lot of the the ways that we give and gauge consent are unconscious. Yeah. And so what I'm doing like one-on-one with people or in the group classes that I teach is bringing the unconscious into our conscious mind so that we can use mm-hmm. it and like actually utilize it in, as, as a tool. So whether yeah. that's like, I'm going to use the not, you know, if I become conscious of the nonverbal cues of my consent, then I can use them to make sure that I'm communicating my consent when I want to be and mm-hmm. also withholding it when I want to withhold it or mm-hmm. not giving it rather. And then also by making those unconscious things conscious, we can gauge how we're feeling Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm paying attention to my own body language and whether or not I'm making eye contact and my own prosody, like how I'm speaking, then I can start to tap into like, oh, hey, it sounds like I'm nervous right now. Yeah. Why am I nervous right now? And yeah. then also using that as a tool to like gauge with other people. If we bring those unconscious cues into our conscious brain, we can start to say to someone like, hey, I noticed that when we started talking about this, you started like looking down and twiddling your thumbs. Mm-hmm. Like what what's going on? You know? Yeah, totally. It's it's so hard for anybody in I mean I think that we've all been conditioned somewhat to be like a little bit separate from like our true emotions around things and especially around sex like everybody wants to be cool and like I think part of that whole thing of not wanting to talk about something and just like non-verbally signaling it like that can be 
a way of avoiding rejection like on both sides like if I'm like hey choke me and someone's like no and I'm not ready for that answer it can be really really overwhelming right and like yeah and so it, it, it can be hard to like be in touch with if I express something I know I might get rejected but that's okay like that leap is enormous like we can just say it but for an individual person practicing to be like oh yeah I might be told that the thing that I want isn't okay with the other person is like super scary (laughs) it's so scary and yet I feel like it's so clear that like the alternative is even scarier which is that you later find out that you like pressured someone into doing something that Mm -hmm. they didn't want to do and I've I've tried really hard like internally just to kind of re-pattern my own thinking around rejection as like it's way more important that that person feel comfortable saying no to me mm-hmm. than it is for me not to be to feel rejected and the act of internally directing my attention toward making them feel comfortable telling me no yeah totally prevents me from feeling rejected Yeah, because in a way, it's a confirmation of you if you do hear a no, because then you made a safe enough space for the no to happen. Exactly. I just posted something on Instagram. It was like one of the easiest ways to help me trust you is by saying no to me. Like if I know that you're capable of saying no to me, then I don't feel nervous asking you for things. Mm hmm. I'm going to hesitate to ask you for things to make requests of you if I don't think that you're capable of saying no to me. Totally. Like you need to have that reciprocity that the other person is in, is in charge of themselves enough to like be able yeah. to discern what is bothering them because that's when you get into all that gray area consent stuff where somebody's like, no, it's okay. And it's like, well, that's not an enthusiastic yes. So like what's in the middle, you know? Right. Someone just brought something up instead of saying um, enthusiastic, oh, an engaged yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and this is in the context of of intimacy coordination, but I think it totally applies elsewhere. And it like it brings up to me the difference between like Betty Martin talks about the difference between wanting to do something and being willing to do something. Mm. And I might not really want to participate in someone's kink, mm-hmm. but be absolutely willing to. Yeah. And like want to do it for their pleasure, mm-hmm. even though it's not my own genuine desire. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of intimacy coordination, like I'm not necessarily going to get an actor, a response from an actor where they're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily jumping for joy about like being naked on screen or having simulated yeah. sex with your scene partner often like your friend you know mm-hmm, but if you're mm-hmm, your, co-worker. your co-worker but if you're engaged <laughs> like if you're present and you're available mm-hmm. like mentally meaning that you're not having mm-hmm. a trauma response you're not dissociating you're not people pleasing yeah. then mm-hmm. I can take your yes and I just you know I've never really liked the enthusiast just the word enthusiastic has kind of bothered me what do you think about that yeah it's bringing up for me like when I um started college I went to like a big university that had um like a heavy drinking culture I started school in 2010 and I feel like people were talking about consent for the first time that I'd really noticed like in my upbringing in life and I had this like 
sex seminar that was like 30 minutes like as I was rushed between different types of orientation for college where like a group of people put on a play about enthusiastic consent where they were like anything short of enthusiastic consent is a no and enthusiastic consent looks like yes oh yes and they kept saying that phrase like yes oh yes and I'm like I have never heard anyone in bed ever because the weird thing about enthusiasm is I think so few people have like integrated their own desires enough to be like, here's what I want and I'm enthusiastic about it and here's the deal because even that like is there's like a fear of rejection for people I think being like, here's my deal like take it or leave it and and I think like definitely in um, vanilla intimacy yeah. in most of my experience there is a little bit of a fear of earnestness and coming off like too like it, you know like you're trying to perform coolness in this way so like that was never my experience like having just anonymous or or not partnered you know vanilla sex like there was never like a discussion about what was about to happen and then everyone was like yes oh yes you know? right you know, it's it's so interesting to me the way that like BDSM is seen as like this what am I trying to say? Like fringe. Like, <laughs> yes, fringe, thank yeah. you. Like fringe thing that, you know, only freaks engage in. Yes. And and it's actually what I've found over and over again is that the people who are drawn to that find so much comfort in it. Because mm-hmm. of how settling and safe they feel with negotiation and consent being built in and happening, you know, beforehand and not like, yes, in an ongoing way during also, but like not only during. Yeah. 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 Can you talk about that a little bit? Totally. Um, you know, what's interesting about the structure of BDSM that makes people feel more comfortable and it's like what we like to say is that healthy BDSM, no matter what it is, occurs within the framework of negotiation where everybody gets on the same page about exactly what's going to happen. And then the scene, which is where the stuff happens, it has a beginning, middle and end and the roles everyone is meant to play are clearly defined. And then you go into aftercare after the scene where you check in and you make sure everybody's good. Right. But within that framework, there is not just like opportunities for yes, but there are also opportunities for safe no, which is what a safe word is, right? So like we have created this framework around safe words where my preferred version and many players preferred version is the traffic light system. Yeah. Which is, you know, um, green is like, yes, I'm doing great. Yellow is slow down and check in on me. And red is like, stop everything. Let's shift into aftercare. And like people sort of make fun of safe words. Like it's a punchline on TV where it's like octopus is my safe word or whatever. Like I was just watching the morning show and and their safe word was something like climate change, I think. Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's a mood killer. But in reality, like safe words ideally are something like red or yellow because it is not emotionally charged. So no, like we've heard our whole lives like that word and have had like a lifetime of experiences with like how it feels to hear no. But when you hear red, you're like, oh, this is for this context and it's to like spare me from having an ego reaction to no. So I'm just going to like receive it and deal with it in this moment without bringing like a lifetime of context of no like to it. And so like knowing as the sub or the bottom that you have access to like a no where the person will hear you and be okay is like then you're like, oh, yeah, let's do whatever you want. Like strap me to the medieval torture device and let's get going. Because if I say no, or if I say red, you know, we're all we're going to be all good. 
um, which I think is like amazing. And I think that's where the safety comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I recently like effectively intimacy coordinated. I'm kind of, I kind of want to start saying consent coordinated because I think intimacy, yeah, comes with like a whole bunch of, I mean, we're called intimacy coordinators for TV, but for porn, I can Mm -hmm. call myself whatever the fuck I want. So (laughs) I was on a porn set and I basically consent coordinated on the set. And one of the things that I did was they chose a safe word I think she already had a safe word and they had shot together before and so I just had him like touch her arm like just kind of feather stroke her Mm -hmm. arm and have her say the Mm -hmm. safe word and have him stop and then I had them switch yeah and because neither of them had ever called the safe word together I feel Uh like very often when you instate a safe word and I've had this experience in my own life there's like a fear around doing it for the first time in part because it's just unfamiliar and also because there can be fear around like is this actually a no for me and it's like you know if you don't know then yeah it can be right now then stop and then talk about it and then you can pick Mm -hmm. it back up Mm -hmm. but I want to ask you I love what you're talking about about this whole like lifetime of context around no yeah I wonder if you can share like some of your own experience of like how you mitigate that and how you maybe or like came to think about it that way. Definitely. I mean, personally, with all of this stuff, I bring to the table a heavy codependent background. Like I grew up in a family where negativity was like not tolerated. It was like, you know, and this is maybe the case with like a lot of people who grew up raised by white boomers but you know basically like if I expressed any kind of dissent or like boundary or anything I needed it was like you're fed you're clothed how dare you you know um and it was like so I was trained like very early that calling attention to my needs or saying something wasn't working for me or or even just like being critical of like you know critical thinking wise of like anything it was like you are withdrawing affection and gratitude for this relationship so that uh you know and that's like more toxic than the standard <laughs> thing but um, I'm unpacking that in therapy but yeah bringing that to the to this context of living a um 24/7 DS relationship i the best thing about it for me is that i have safe words at play at all times and like whenever i feel like emotionally flooded or like i'm going to a place i shouldn't go i'm able to like shut it down but that has taken so much practice because when you have that codependent background I didn't even realize until I think during quarantine I started researching codependence more and researching how it makes you take responsibility for the other person's emotions to the extent that you can't even raise any of your own needs because you're like what if they get hurt and like when you have this sort of like dom sub dynamic structure in place for me as the sub to overly assume what my dom is feeling and decide for him without asking him like what is going to happen in a way that's overriding his consent and it's like overriding our power dynamic so like I have to become vulnerable enough to be like hey I have this need would you like to fulfill it and just leave the ball in his court and like back away slowly and most of the time he's like yeah that's cool (laughs) but but getting to that point is like is everything I just said like you have to it's so hard to get to that point where you're willing to just sort of like drop a need or a request Mm. in someone's like on their side of the table and just be like let me know (laughs) wow you know you're 
making me think of this um, Instagram post that I read yesterday about um, how honesty is a practice and how like, and so what you're talking about, it's reminding me of this because saying no takes practice. Knowing your needs takes practice. Being able to express them takes practice. And I think that so much of like consent you know, when people talk about consent as like this no means no or like contracts or, you know, these like very cut and dry things, what what they're mm-hmm. missing is that it's actually a practice and the practice of it. I mean, I've, I'm a process oriented person and so I'm like yeah. living in the process always and like there's no, you know, finish line mm-hmm. or end product or anything. So thinking of this stuff as a as a practice, I haven't really thought about simply the act of like stating your needs or saying no as a practice but the way that you're talking about yeah. it makes it sound like that that can actually take some of the pressure off maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it to- totally and having um having positive experiences with having yes. done it like the more that you have under your belt like I have a I have a really close friend who um has only ever had toxic breakups and they um, have dated a number of cis men who have gotten explosive with them at the end of a relationship and every time they go into a new relationship it's like when's the other shoe gonna drop and they just went through the healthiest breakup and I'm so excited for them because we keep talking about it. it's like well now you, your nervous system knows that there's no there doesn't have to be another shoe of a toxic explosive breakup coming every time you open up yes. your heart like so it's it's those things where like practice like comes from you but then it also it's like each little like safe nugget that you have like your scared little reptile brain gets to know like oh i'm not gonna you know it's gonna be okay i'm not gonna die <laughs> this isn't right which which like as like a when you're like really getting into consent and like whether somebody's like comfortable or if things are going okay like you also have to like I feel like that's a good question to ask. Like, how many experiences of saying no have you had where it's not been toxic or shaming or explosive where, like, you know that you can do it? And that's like, that's like you breaking the seal with those actors of, like, let's all experience a chill no (laughs) or a safe word. And then, like, and then now we know what it's going to be like. And I asked them, too. I was like, how was that? You know, just very simply. And she Mm -hmm. was like, well, I really trust him now. And I was like, cool yeah that's great and, and I was like yeah. yeah what did that what did that feel like and she was like well he stopped like just knowing that he stopped yeah. and that he was that it wasn't like there he wasn't disappointed you know and like yeah it's the the way that I've kind of become a little bit involved in like the adult film and sex work world has been really I mean I kind of knew this already but I've just now seen it like very firsthand that like you know, one of my favorite moments on this set was like she had to go to the bathroom and he was trying to stay hard so that he could get back into the scene mm-hmm. and we were plotting out the positions that they were going to do and he was just standing there like tugging mm-hmm. on his own dick, <laughs> like, you know, just having a regular yeah. conversation. And like my my yeah. sort of and I've talked about this before, this isn't like news, but like my biggest kind of um, like sexual trauma was that someone got really mad at me when I made them stop because I was in pain, like really Ugh. mad at me, like stormed out of the room. Yeah. I'm like, so sorry. You know, 
I don't know, man. What is that? And, you know, oh, it, I'm so sorry. I can talk about it now kind of lightly because I was so young at the time. And, like, he, he pulled out all the stops. Like, he was complaining about blue balls, you know. Yeah. He, oh, I for know. God's sake. So seeing that was actually really healing for me that I could just watch this dude yeah. like just touch himself in this like really casual way and like it's not a big deal and he might come and he might not and like mm-hmm. you know but I've been yeah. I've been really yeah. kind of enjoying that aspect of the sex work community because it like consent is so clear it's so built mm-hmm. in and if you can't do it or refuse to participate then you're just out like no one's gonna play with you no, and it's that simple. And I wish that we had less of a scarcity mindset in like outside of sex work and like relationships, you know, off of the apps, like people go in and they tolerate all kinds of nonsense because it's like, when will I ever find another whatever this person is? And it's like, oh, you'll find right. it. Like, you should get but out of there. It's <laughs> never worth it. And this it's, is not your never last opportunity it. at love. And like, this is not it for you. <laughs> no. No. no, oh my God. It's not the bachelor. It's not the oh bachelor. We're <laughs> well, so yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, <laughs> just given like the name of this podcast, though, I'm kind of like giving up on holding on to the like labor thread of, of this show. It's kind of like morphed into I don't know what it is now. But just given your 24 mm-hmm. seven relationship, I'd be really curious your thoughts on like yeah how labor comes up and like how you think about in your relationship like div- dividing the shit that you have to do to like maintain a relationship and maintain a home and like all that stuff yes see that's yes I think about this all the time um this is the aspect of kink that no one asks you about because they're like what does he do to you yes. and like uh share the labor in our household um but like <laughs> I think for me it all really cohered in this very clear way where I had come out of like a number of vanilla relationships that had very little sex positivity and very little negotiation and it was just like this is what we do and it just is happening and it wasn't those relationships were not like misogynistic ones they were like more this like nouveau um you know what I understand now to be like probably upper middle class white feminist version of a relationship where I am being asked to perform masculinity and femininity simultaneously in these very defined ways of he and I are going to equally and egalitarianly split every single thing Mm. and switch off and it was exhausting like and and but there was no like open communication about it it was just this like scorekeeping and passive aggression and that person and I were (laughs) obviously very ill-suited for each other and that relationship ended but when when my my dom and my current partner and I got together every aspect of everything was negotiated because the nature of a dom sub relationship is where if the dom tells you as the sub to do something, you know that they are expecting it and you can push back against that expectation if you need to and renegotiate and be like, if you're expecting this of me and I don't want to do it, like, let's, you know, talk about it. Um, rather than them being like, oh, I see you didn't right. wash the dishes like two days later, <laughs> rather than like in the moment making it clear that that's what they expect. I'm offering a second round of my six-week Boundaries and Consent course starting April 5th and going until May 10th. It's Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific time, and it goes until 6.30 with an optional additional 30-minute discussion period afterwards. 
Morgan, a student in the last course, said, if you are a human, you need to take this class. Mia creates a welcoming, inclusive environment to bring clarity and a deeper understanding of boundaries and consent. I had so many revelations that I wanted to plaster on billboards. You will come away from this class with invaluable language and frameworks to navigate every type of relationship, romantic, platonic, professional, familial, and more. I can't wait for them to create a level two. The class is 450 or 300 if you are a sex worker, if you have debilitating student loans or medical expenses, or if you or any of your ancestors have experienced slavery or land theft. You can read more about what the class entails and you can sign up on my website at sharetheloadinc.com. My Patreon is now a community site for DIY self-paced learning. I share assignments, journal prompts, media examples of consent and boundaries, discount codes, my own writing on boundaries and consent, the medical industry, and other things that I'm thinking about all the time. I share papers, articles, lectures, and more, and you also get access to the Patreon-only Discord channel. Patreon is a great way to support the show, but there are other ways that don't cost money. You can rate, subscribe, and write a review wherever you listen and share the show with your friends. All of that is deeply appreciated. I'm currently taking private clients. You can find out more about that in the Work With Me tab on my website, sharetheloadinc.com, and schedule a call to see if we're a good fit. We um, went on a camping trip together, like shortly after our 24-7 side of our dynamic, like really got established. And um, we were at this, it was like a two campsite campground. And it was us at one campsite. And then like a very like, from what I could tell and perceive, like a very standard run of the mill couple in their 30s. And my, uh, my partner is like, because it's like a fun sexual game for us, he's like instructing me things of how to set up the campsite. And I'm like having the time of my life, like putting in the little stakes and being like, oh, what do I do next? And then at the next campsite over, they're putting up their tent and it's like, well, I told you to get that out of the car 30 minutes ago. Wow. And why didn't you pack and blah, blah, blah. And it's like doing that whole thing of like, I expected you to do this and you didn't already do it. And like last time I did it and this time you do it. And then we're over here just like quietly assembling our tent like happily. And I saw like really clearly like, oh, this goes beyond just like having eroticized like daily tasks. It's like mm. active consent in relationship expectations. So like, yeah, I find I find this stuff like so interesting because, yeah, the standards of our parents generation are not the same ones that we're necessarily dealing with. I think we're dealing a lot more with like, how do we make everything exactly equal on both sides and keep score and make sure everyone's doing the same stuff. Well, and that also, that plays into gender roles in relationships and sharing the load, but it also plays into like the, the whole conversation about non-monogamy, polyamory, and all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been non-monogamous or polyamorous, whatever you're, you can take your pick, but uh, <laughs> like for many years now, and I've like repeatedly kind of run into this misconception amongst like outside people, but also even in 
relationships and I even fight this in myself of like that kind of scorekeeping like equality minded thing when like what feels good to you might be different from what feels good to me Mm -hmm. and what feels good to you might be having sex with Mm -hmm. strangers every weekend and what feels good to me might be having like one or two people that I consistently see and have an emotional connection with and like we don't need yeah. to, you know, seeking the equality, like the way that you're talking about, just like strictly 50-50-ing, yeah. like domestic labor. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that yeah. doesn't work and it doesn't feel good because each of those tasks feels different to each of you. Yeah. And like each, per- and it, it comes back to like love languages right. too, in a way where it's like certain things for me, like I, I love um, Enneagrams mm-hmm. too, as like a way of like categorizing relationships. And like, so I'm, I know that it's easy for me to have like a burst of energy around cleaning at a certain time of day, or like there are things if they're dirty in the apartment, like I notice them and it's like trying to understand and like really internalize that like the things that I see are not the exact same things that the other person sees and my contributions, like I should not know what my contributions are and then be waiting for someone else to do them like and then be pissed when they don't. Yeah. And that's such a thing too, like in poly, like I feel like I get a lot of people writing to me for advice asking like my partner does all this stuff with other people or they're out on dates a lot and I just don't want to but I feel like I have to and something Esther Perel says that I think is really great like she says that like in American relationships it's like a sort of an American thing that um, we see equality as the only way to manifest respect Mm -hmm. and so it's like what if we could respect without each having the exact same things that's like a really I don't know it's sort of an interesting question to me because like we're never going to have the same thing so we got to figure it out well and and everyone has different needs too I mean you can extrapolate that to the conversation Mm -hmm. around like racial equality it's you know we don't all need the exact same things so Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. trying to trying to seek equality is kind of like missing the point of like actually addressing people on an individual basis and like individual needs mm-hmm. or beyond individual maybe like community needs that are being put forward by the actual community and not by people from the outside yeah. being like I know what you need yes and it's like it's it's like the the issue of like canceling student loan debt for example where like people are like I need my student loan debt canceled and then some random guy is like well I paid mine off so you shouldn't right. get that and it's like what who yeah. asked you like <laughs> but that's how the discourse goes is it's like how can I be given the exact same thing as you if I already paid off my student debt and it's like why is that relevant but we treat that like it's relevant and it's yeah. it's not <laughs> I mean you're even reminding me of the conversation around yeah. ab- abortion where people are like well I regretted having an abortion so like no one should get an abortion (laughs) yeah I mean it's just like no I mean like any any and all arguments it's like just are we talking about whether we can provide any other safe medical service and like your emotions that you had around having your tooth pulled like I don't care (laughs) just provide the safe medical service to all the people right but it's not that simple because uh yeah because of the hellscape yeah yeah it's quite a hellscape (laughs) um so I want to kind of dig into this like idea of of finding your no and finding your needs and like I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you have like concrete memories of moments where you kind of discovered like whoa I have this whole lifelong context around no or moments where like 
you said no and it went really well or like you learned something from it? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, something that I've been learning about no is that my partner and I do often play with other subs. So like we'll have like a threesome where it's me and another woman and we're both subbing to my um, partner and discovering a safe no in that context has been really difficult for me because I, I'm sure that this is m- much gendered social conditioning, but when and no one prepares you for this, but like when we're having these like threesomes and if I feel like if I have my like jealousy kicked up or if I'm feeling like weird or insecure, this like feeling in me like overtakes my ability to be clear where I'm like hosting and like my concern over like everyone having a good time becomes so huge that it, it or used to that I couldn't get the no out. And so I said to my my partner, I'm like, I can't yell out red when I'm feeling this weird, ambiguous shade of jealousy and not completely certain how it what it means or how like it should affect the next couple minutes. So like, what can we do instead of that? Um, And that's when we've gotten like really into nonverbal safe wording where like even the act of having to like call a bunch of attention to myself vocally like becomes like makes it hard. It's like a barrier to entry of the safe no. So like I've, I've developed a system where I kind of catch his eye and I like pull on my ear a little bit and like we know that that means I'm feeling some kind of nebulous jealousy or like I need more attention. And I personally, I don't even know what it means yet. So let's like slow everything down. And then having that space doing that has has made everything, it's made it clearer to me, like what is going on in my body leading up to that moment? How can we handle that moment correctly? How can we not handle it correctly? What kinds of circumstances lead to me calling a hard safe word after that? But like before we developed this system, I just had to sort of go through this trial and error experience where I was just sort of sublimating my needs like and not in any kind of catastrophic and upsetting way but I was like I just feel a little bit like 20% outside my body and I don't really know why and then now I'm like that's important and I don't need to like bypass being 20% outside or 10% or 5% like I need to be like hello and just call attention that's the thing about no is it's like there are shades in between and like knowing it's okay to call attention to it even if you don't have like a specific plan and being like I need co-regulation yes. rather than like hello I'm here with my full story of exactly what needs to happen next but yeah inviting in that like other person to be like help you know Yeah I love that idea of like having a safe word that means like co-regulate with me Yeah that's, that's really beautiful. yeah that is what it is yeah it's yeah. like hey, you know, when you play with someone consistently and they can see you from the outside, there might be something they can offer. And like when you look into it like collaboratively, as opposed to like, I am rejecting you with this safe word. It's instead it's like, hey, come in and like, what can you do to see what's going on? Can you totally take someone out of that like rejection space or like, oh my God, I must have done something wrong. Like, hey, I, I, I need your help right now. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really lovely and also like very trust and intimacy mm-hmm. building. Totally. Totally. Because then like that other person learns that like stopping is not rejection either. Like and, and that it just becomes like another moment to like define safety for each other and be like, hey, we, we've figured this out before. We'll do it again. We have a shorthand for it. That's that's cool stuff. Your <laughs> uh, is this man? Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like as a cis woman and then also like 
um, the potential fetishization of bisexuality and that kind of thing. So yeah. I'm really curious to hear yeah, how you've like processed all of that. Totally. Um, you know, I actually just like wrote a really long thing for my Patreon about, about this. So I'm like ready to go. Yeah, I think like definitely in regards to threesomes I prior to practicing it myself I had this mentality you know as somebody who's like really clued into sex positivity and like feminism and whatnot I was like and I had had experiences with previous partners who had fetishized my bisexuality and were like hey I found this girl I want you guys to kiss and it's like no (laughs) and so like when you've had those experiences and when, you know, like you've been on the apps and you've been unicorn hunted and you've been like approached by these couples with these really shady, like weird backdoor maneuvers oh of like, God. oh, by the way, here's my boyfriend, like 20 minutes before the date. And, you know, that kind of energy. You're like, OK, gross. Like, no. But then, <laughs> but then with my partner specifically, like it was something that we were both talking about as like a fun way of me getting to express that bisexuality within the context of our relationship and getting to, with him, have these like really lovely experiences. And what I sort of in my mind expected it to be like was like, I'm, you know, performing queerness for a gaze. But what it has actually become much more about was like me getting to see like I got really emotional just for a second, but like getting to see the way that he cares for me, but on another person and like experiencing from the outside, like this is the tenderness that I'm receiving. And like, that it's like, not that, you know, there's like, you know, there's a lot of affection and care in these relationships. So it's like, this is what it looks like for me to be cared for, for their, like the tenderness and like, the thoughtfulness and like because when you're inside of your own experience you've got all this like babble in your head about like worthiness and whatever but then when you're seeing like oh she's like being good and she's getting a sweet little head pat and I'm like that's what I that's what I'm doing I'm good too Mm -hmm. you know and it's been much more of like these like really sweet wholesome connective moments with like my own worthiness and then the other like really weird flip side of it it's not weird I'm not yucking my own yums but it's unexpected where I had a lot of issues with jealousy like prior to this experience that we've gone on where now we've had like a couple partners who we've maintained over multiple years you know and I went into it being like I'm not good enough he's gonna leave me like somebody else is like way better at sex than I am and I'm gonna see that like (laughs) whatever and but the more that I've actually experienced in real life seeing other people have sex with my partner (laughs) I see that like every person is like unique and bringing their own thing to the table and like really special in ways that are so different and unquantifiable that like you can't be like I'm not good enough one person's better than me so like that kind of like weird imposter syndrome thing has just been like put to bed because it's like it's not it doesn't make sense like you're trying to like compare things that can't be compared and and that's been like super healing and and fun so yeah his gaze like not even like really relevant in any of that but he's (laughs) a nice time he's not being uh coerced but Yeah, there's definitely like, there's so much more to it than like, there's a cis man and I'm a queer woman and something sexual is happening. It's like a a third category type thing. Yeah, I love the idea of like getting to witness the way that you are loved, like from the outside. That's really, really special. 
(laughs) It's a cute thing. And then like getting to have these like, and I don't think we get enough of these like in our life, these like lovely, not, not quite platonic, but like expressions of care with partners who there's not a heavy emotional relationship, yeah. but there is an ongoing friendship, like and getting to to make sure that they're taken care of in this one specific capacity and then like just sort of have that and not have it be so dismissive as like a lot of like non-partnered sexual contact can be like sometimes, you know, like quote unquote casual situations. It's like, oh, hey, dude, bye. You know, right. it's like it's it's allowed to be a little bit more like tender than that. And getting to just even see that it's just sort of makes you feel like part of a community where your actions matter. You know, I think something that I have learned about really in the last, I don't know, six or eight months that I think I didn't quite understand before was the idea of non-hierarchical polyamory. And I didn't mean to casually dismiss before, like that there is a difference between non-monogamy and polyamory. And I feel like I've talked about that on the show. And I do feel like polyamory speaks more toward how I feel about my relationships and the idea of like Mm -hmm. that you can have, you know, a partner that you live with and that you do certain things with and then other partners or other people that you have sex with and you're still prioritizing their needs and you're still prioritizing their emotional safety and comfort and yeah and not uh not acting not acting in a way that makes it clear that they are not as important to you as this other partner yeah, disposable right. Mm-hmm. right i think i i mm-hmm. actually ended up in a situation a couple years ago with someone who was in a relationship like engaged and on his way to being married to somebody and they lived together and they were open and so me coming to that with this hierarchical mindset meant to me that he wasn't that emotionally invested in me and that felt good to me at the time in that relationship I was like Mm -hmm. yeah I don't want to be your partner I just I'm kind of enjoying your company and having sex with you and as a result, I think when when I ended things, like, he was very hurt. And I was, like, shocked that he was mm. hurt. And that was, like, a real learning mm-hmm. moment for me because I didn't realize that I had really any power, like, you know, let alone the power yeah. to, like, hurt him that way because I understood it as I was kind of this, like, extra yeah. addition yeah. to his sex life. Um, and so I didn't really care for him in like ending that relationship totally. because you you had you you had decided that you didn't have the level of value right. that you had because like of this whole secondary I think that in like quote I mean the word mainstream almost doesn't mean anything anymore yeah. but like in regards to like traditional monogamous expectations of relationships I think that people see it as this sort of one-way highway escalating yes. towards marriage and children and so like every move you make is going further down the one-way highway with no exits you know <laughs> of like if you know like the, and this is something I talk about a lot and it gets me a lot of like controversial feedback for some reason but like I think that in casual hookups, any kind of situation, you should be able to do aftercare after yeah. after intimacy or sex and you should be able to like hold each other and also like if you are not looking for that to escalate to 
a marriage with children, you can just be clear that it's like, this is where I'm at, but I would also like to be able to hold each other after sex. Right. Um, for some reason, that gets me a lot of a lot of angry feedback on the internet. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, I think that people who do see relationships as a little bit commodified, like if I give you attention, you give me more commitment. They don't like they, they find that that's like disrupting that model. But like, I think that people need to just like physically care for each other when they've just had sex. Um, and yeah, but like, <laughs> but when but yeah, so like, in poly or like even in that sort of like I love the term relationship anarchist yeah. like which I've seen a little bit of like that you know decentralized thing and it's like what if care had nothing to do with that like one way highway towards like marriage and children in a suburban house it's like what if I could just express care for you in this moment without it meaning all these like successive steps that we've all like imputed onto like holding someone after you have sex with right. them right you know, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> I've like, in my 20s, I had sex with a lot of friends, and um, mm-hmm. and I really liked that, and it was always, like, we would always talk about it, we weren't, like, getting drunk enough to fuck, you know, it was always like, would you want to yeah. do that? Yeah, maybe, okay, and then we would, like, hang out a couple more times mm-hmm, and be like, mm-hmm. do you want to do that right now? And it always, like, made me mm-hmm. feel closer to these people, and, like, occasionally we would have sex a couple more times, and then, like, go back to how things were, but then I felt like cool I now know you in this like other more intimate way and I liked having that experience with them and sharing that with them and what I found from time to time was this thing that would happen where like once we had sex they actually wanted less care from me as a friend or the same I'll rephrase that the the same level of care from me as a friend became Mm -hmm. something different Right, like a relationship. As though I was, yeah, as though I was like, well, now that we're having sex, like, be my partner. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of, like, one particular instance where, like, I slept with a friend. He got really sick, like a flu or something, like a few days later. And he was my neighbor. Like, he lived, like, a block one way and a block the other way from me. And he was on the way home from my subway stop. And so when he told me he was really sick, mm-hmm. I was like, do you want me to bring you like some Dayquil or NyQuil or something? Or like, do you need anything? And and mm-hmm. I immediately felt that there was like this wall being put up of like, I'm not your boyfriend, uh, you know? And I was like, oh I, I would have yeah. done this for you last week. I would have done this for any friend. Mm-hmm. And And it just, you know, we're still friends. But like, it just kind of registered with me that there's like, that's one of those ways that sex changes some things for for some people Mm -hmm. and and that like for me I feel similar to what you're expressing that like I want to care for people in my life consensually and um and that's like a you know Mm -hmm. picking up like I've been you know friends of mine who are like I think I might have COVID I'm like cool what do you need like I know if you're not leaving your house now like what can I bring you that's just Maybe mm-hmm. that's just me as a friend. Maybe that's me as a mm-hmm. cancer. I don't know. But like <laughs> that, you know, feeling like that was suddenly being rejected because we had had sex was troublesome yeah. to me. Yes, emotionally, but also like kind of in this like, what does this mean about sex and yeah. friendship and like 
What yeah, it's it's feel it feels like my read of it is like it's weirdly infantilizing because it's like even if I'm saying I just want to care for you in this way and it doesn't mean that I'm trying to force you into a relationship. It's like, well, you don't really know. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that that's what your friend was doing, but there is that sense that like, oh, I need to prevent you from caring for me because you might catch feelings even if you say that you're not going. And, you know, and it's like that whole like thing of like, well, you really want more commitment than you think that you do. Right. It's like, well, what if I did know what I what I wanted and you could just trust me to like let you know if if you know what I mean it's like I'm gonna let you know if I want to commit and I'm also gonna let you know if I want to bring you chicken soup and those are two separate ideas and can we just like take it down take the temperature down yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah mm-hmm. I don't know I I think about that sometimes just in terms of like wow I guess obviously different things mean different things to different people <laughs> yeah yeah so we're like coming up on, I'm just aware of the time that really flew by, but I wanted mm-hmm, to just mm-hmm. go back to this tent thing, the setting up the tent. Oh yeah. Would you be willing yes. to share like some more detail about how that was part of your BDSM relationship and like how that manifested or is that private? Yeah. No. Oh no. I talked about all this stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I also like tell a story on my Instagram which people now like refer to as the Ikea story (laughs) where um, it's so like a condition of our dynamic is that I only refer to my partner as his like means of address and I don't call him by his like given Christian name at birth that his mom gave him and so like when we we were like in Ikea one time and I lost him in like the downstairs section of Ikea right and there's like a billion people uh, pre-COVID you know and then I spot him and he's like swiftly walking in the wrong direction and I'm not about to be like daddy across across the top of Ikea so like I literally like rather than say his name, which I think I never had at that point. Now I've had to do it in front of his family and oh. stuff. I like am like Pac-Manning my way through this like labyrinth of people like trying to get to him. And yeah, so BDSM, it like <laughs> there are these weird little moments where you've like you think you've negotiated and figured out like everything. And then like moments like this arise where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right, but what I'm gonna- do I call you when we go to Ikea? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now we know. Yeah. So now like sometimes which it's not even like a good like subby thing to do, but I'll be like, uh, hey, right. <laughs> that's like not anyway. Um, But yeah, like in terms of like building a tent, it'll be like I have to acknowledge like the work that this takes on his end because he needs like for me, it's just following instructions. Right. He's like, do this. And I'm like, great. But like on his end, I think he needs to like whenever he's instructing me to do things in like a part of a bigger project, like he needs to have thought through like what needs to be done, um, in what order, what um, what can I clearly explain, what will she have done or like have known how to do in regards to setting up a tent and how can I like explain it in this sort of like thoughtful, like sequential way. So like, you know, it'll be like, okay, we're starting with the stakes and, and this and that because this is not my skill set at all. Like if I was going to try to explain how someone how to do something, I would like start with the end and like step three. <laughs> and then by the time we got to step one, they'd be like super confused. So like, yeah, so it's just him like taking me sequentially through like tasks. And then as I perform them, you know, I get like an affirmation, like I get good girl. Okay, now you're going to do this. And then I do it. And then it's like, good girl, now you're going to do this. And so yeah, and that's how much of our life plays out is like him thoughtfully sort of sequentially taking me through things and then affirming Mm. as we go 
Mm-hmm. The way that you're describing it makes it sound like for him it might even, it's like it exercises like creative faculties. Definitely. Yeah. And like the sort of executive um, yes. thinking, uh, whatever that organization. Yeah. Which, you know, it's it's a fun thing as a sub, like you get to kind of just show up in a certain way, like knowing your limits and expressing yourself is like not to discount that work. There's definitely work. But like the fun part of it is you get to put a pause and you just know that you're being cared for and you can just sort of like proceed without knowing the end point necessarily. Like, you know, I could just put stakes in the ground and and then put ropes on a stake and then suddenly there's a tent you know as opposed to like me needing to be like okay we're building the tent now and what are we going to do about it it's like this sort of and like a tent is a funny example because I have so been the people on the other campground that are like losing their minds about like you said that there were six of these and there's only three and like you know like um yeah so that was like it was a very good metaphor well I also it's also a great metaphor because you're building something you're laying foundation for something that's then going to house you and shelter you and your relationship Um, totally so you know it it extrapolates into like you know what were you building that day yeah yeah (laughs) what did you what did you really build (laughs) you built a a safe space if you will (laughs) yeah totally Lena, geez, it's been quite a pleasure. Okay, so I am very attached to my end of podcast question about three things in your life that have brought you to think the way that you do now. And I'm wondering if you have Mm -hmm. answers for me. I am prepared. I am nothing (laughs) if not a good follower of instructions, um, (laughs) as we've discussed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so like, First of all, for me, like, and the work that I do online is so deeply, it couldn't exist without the work of sex workers who have figured out how to do it first and Mm. do it better and do it so creatively. And like any kind of sexuality industry at all owes everything to sex workers who have been like willing to speak about things. So... Mm I, you know, a a reality of talking about sex on the internet um, and even just about like consent or um, the the phrase I heard at one point, the phrase sex positivity was banned by Instagram at a certain point. And I do all of my work on Instagram. I would not know without the sex work community that all of these things are caused by a bill that went through um, the U.S. legislature called SESTA-FOSTA that if you are online, your liberties have been restricted by this bill, whether you know it or not. But like, you know, basically, if I'm not on the ground listening to that community about like what is affecting them, how it's affecting their personal rights, how they go about their business, then I'm blindsided by what comes next. So it's like listening to sex workers and like taking the time to completely understand like the needs of that community, you know, it you can't be doing for me like ethical online work, anything related to sexuality without amplifying them and like making sure that their needs are like part of what you do. So mm-hmm. that is huge. Um, and like also they're just the most in touch and smart and hilarious and like well-branded people like in the age of personal branding like sex workers invented personal branding so yeah that would be for me like huge like every day not a day goes by that I'm not like listening and um yeah trying to amplify them and then another influence um I think so my 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 name is a pen name um that comes from uh two Anais Nin stories Mm. and there's a lot about her like that (laughs) She's um she's a controversial figure, you know. Yeah, uh, I just she's, tried um, rereading 
Henry in June and I had to put it down. It's hard. <laughs> I and I had yeah. I had read that book several years ago and was like, "Oh my god, I am her. She is me." Like, you know. <laughs> and and then this time I was like, "This is excruciating and I think that she's being sexually assaulted and like yeah. not understanding that like yeah. that's what's going on here." Yeah, it, and the the really interesting thing about her erotica, which is where I like draw the the you know the first name last name of my pen name, is that she was writing it for this like old rich man that was paying writers to write like dirty stories for him, and like every single piece of her erotica is like it draws you in, and something really interesting and sexy is happening, and then suddenly there's like a really aggressive twist that like makes you feel like deep shame for having even like been into the stuff that came before Um, and I didn't even know until recently that that was like her very deliberate way of like getting back at this one guy that was ever intended to read these stories and then now they've been published for like people to read Um, and that was never the intention it was like I'm fucking with this guy who is paying me a certain amount of money to like churn out these stories and I'm like living on yeah but like at the same time like she invented a language of desire that didn't exist to talk about this like dark and liminal now we would consider like a lot of it highly problematic um sexuality but like the 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 act of putting it into words like definitely there's something to me that's always like been super appealing about that coming from a woman rather than like lolita which we're all supposed to be like you know psyched about but like I I just can't bring myself even you know no matter how well written it's like no it's tough but I one thing about Anais Nin is she was polyamorous before there was language for that she was queer Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of her writing that I've written I mean read (laughs) is um, (laughs) like without the taboo aspect and without the secrecy there's not much there like mm. there's the the plot that she's describing like wouldn't happen and like all of her inner mm. turmoil wouldn't be there. So it's almost like mm-hmm. if she had the language of mm-hmm. of polyamory and if she had the language of like of being queer yeah. and if those things weren't things that she had to keep secret, I just I wonder yeah. like where she would have gone with it because you know, if you are polyamorous then you just take the taboo out of having yeah. multiple partners like there's right. no need for secrecy anymore so like where's the drama for a nice nin but yeah. I also want to share real quick this Please. story about so I got really into a nice nin I think around like 23 24 mm-hmm. and that's the time, the time <laughs> yeah that's the time yeah and I, I was I think I was in a relationship at the time and and we were like exploring non-monogamy which is what I would call what we were doing then um Mm -hmm. you know like we were like open but we weren't really polyamorous and I was also studying directing at HB studio in New York theater directing Mm -hmm. and I was like playwriting and stuff and there was this guy that I met there who like took an interest in me in this way that Mm. I was like that I'm now familiar with that at the time I was like what is this and he Mm. was you know in his mid to late 40s I want to say and he told me that he had written this script and he wanted me to like do a reading of it with him Mm -hmm. and I don't remember the order of how things played out but eventually he was like 
it's based on Anais Nin and Henry Miller. Mm. And I was like, oh, amazing. Like, I'm reading her work, you know. Yeah. And then we got together at this cafe and it turned out that, like, he was going to play Henry Miller and I was going to play Anais Nin. Oh, and then but you were going to be... Yeah. And then right, right. he wrote a kiss. He wrote a kiss <laughs> into this script. So we read it and I he had basically like dramatized some scenes from one of the one of her books or one mm-hmm. of her diaries. And I left feeling like this is weird. I think that was it. Like I'm done, you know? Yeah. And then he was like, Hey, so like would you be willing to do a staged reading of this with me? And on and on. And this is I I mean I bring it up in this conversation like yes we're talking about a nice nin but it also was like one of these first instances of me being like no and like That's holding great. my no advocating yeah. for myself and being and and what I said to him I was like very I I was doing that kind of like avoidant thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but eventually like he just would not let up yeah and I was then very very direct and clear with him and I was like I said you know I think you should find someone else to do this or something yeah and he was like and then he was like I I feel like I have to plead with you because if I'm being totally honest I wrote this for you like I oh, wrote this with you in mind pressure trap <laughs> right right Gosh. and for anyone who doesn't know what I look like I look vaguely like a nice nin with like dark oh, yeah. short hair and mm-hmm. like I you know yeah facial features and whatever yeah and so so he like wrote this for me to play her and at that point was when I said I am creeped out basically <laughs> like I was like you know this was always this always felt a little bit off to me and now yeah. I'm starting to get I'm feeling very uncomfortable and this feels like inappropriate yeah. and I don't want to be involved in this project and then I don't think I ever heard from her, him again I like saw him at the studio from time yeah. to time and we would just kind of like nod and wave yeah but yeah, it was one of those, like, I haven't thought about that in a while. And it was one of really, like, the first instances of me really having to, like, stand my ground. And and also, like, I love these moments in life where we, like, try to avoid being honest because we don't want to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. And then, and then like, life slaps you in the face. And it's like, hey, actually, you have to be completely honest right now. Yeah. And, it, like, you've been bad. Well, that's the thing is that he structured the situation so that you had to do it that way. I mean, you know, power dynamics, like, abound, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. fucked up. A un- non-consensual, forcible power. Like, there's a whole structure around you as a young person where there's an age difference. There's, like, a, right. a professional association. There's the feeling that, like, what if your network works that you have in common with this guy like might be affected by you saying no oh he wrote the part for you so it's rude to turn it down oh like you know and it's just one thing after another where like your no is being prevented and it's like those are the situations where you're like why do I feel like I can't have agency and it's like because you're being trapped (laughs) like right you're being that's that's messed up I'm so sorry that happened it's you know it's an interesting thing to reflect on and and really like um you know, he he had no clout. Like he was also taking classes at this studio, and mm-hmm. it just makes me wonder. Like, yeah, you, know, you think about like Harvey Weinstein or like someone who actually could have an uh, a bearing on your career or or your mm-hmm. life or your reputation. Mm-hmm. And like, I this was a relatively safe scenario in which this guy actually didn't have any power over me. Yeah, but um, when you work in Sorry, I was just going to say, like, because I have, like, a background working in entertainment before I did this. And, like, when you work in entertainment, you are conditioned to believe that everyone could ruin your career. So, like, you have to be 
cool and great with everybody at all times, which is, of course, impossible because some people are going to be not not great to be around or be asking insane things of you or leveraging that assumption. Yes to get what they want and like those all make conditions where saying no is like practically impossible so it's like of course it's scary yeah yeah so your third yes <laughs> um a third like third thing is that i i mean i feel like we've spent so much time talking about my relationship on this but like yeah my my core like central like relationship with my partner has been really helpful for me to like process who I am without pressure or like without this like codependent like expectations or without feeling anything coercive and like the fact that I know that he's in charge of him and he'll be okay and like I then get to figure myself out like next to that has given me this like really and and I'm I'm I've heard this I'm a I'm a Gemini astrologically and I've heard that we like search for our twin star and we like need Mm. to process our identity through other people and this has been like a really cool opportunity for me to be like okay like there's so many things about this that we have like worked really hard on to be healthy like let me take them out into the world and see what other people think about them and that's been like a large part of this work that I just sort of set up a little shingle on the internet to do and people have really responded to of me just being like hey, like, what if, you know, what if this is how you build a tent? And people have been like, oh, my God, that's great. Or like, I build a tent this slightly different way. And let me tell you about it. And it's like, great, let's all like talk about that way. And like, but um, it's been it's been really formative and great to just like have a safe space. And then to say nothing of like, you know, who among us doesn't have issues with their biological father? Um, (laughs) And then to take those issues into like a power exchange with a cis man and learn that like a man that is exercising consensual power over me, like can do so in a way that makes me feel safe and contained and provided for emotionally rather than like the issues that some of our dads perpetrate of like, you know, leveraging resources or, you know, emotional stuff or like not respecting boundaries and just learn that like, oh, we this is possible to like not always have that narrative show up in every relationship with a man so yeah Yeah. that stuff too (laughs) yeah cool um (laughs) lena thank you it was really nice to talk to you where can oh my gosh thank you so much yeah where can people find you i know we said ask a sub on instagram and twitter and where can people find your patreon yeah so it's patreon.com slash ask a sub and i do a weekly column there and i also manage a discord community where people who are kinky or kink interested can connect with each other that's also through patreon i also Mm -hmm. just linked discord to my patreon and i'm You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Consent Wizard. The show is produced and edited by Stella Hartman. Beginning and ending music is by me. There's sometimes other music by my friend Tyler Field. The podcast logo is by Candace Ploy Goodman. For contact information for these exceptionally talented people, or to ask a question about boundaries and consent that I'll answer on the show, you can email podcast at sharetheloadinc.com.